This is Killer Innovations, a show about ideas, creativity, and how you can innovate. Welcome to the Innovator's Garage, where you learn to create your next game-changing killer innovation. Hello, I'm Phil McKinney, and welcome to the Innovator's Garage. We're all about helping you go from idea to launching your innovation. Now, for those longtime listeners of the show, you know that I'm personally passionate around education and how do we encourage kids to really find that creative uh, passion within whatever it is they're working on. And in many cases, we're trying to teach this in college courses, and now you see it with things like FIRST Robotics going into high schools and middle schools. I would argue, though, that creativity in kids needs to be encouraged and nurtured right from the beginning. And I'm also a little bit getting passionate about this because I now have three grandkids and the fourth one's on the way. And I think I'm driving my kids crazy with the toys and things that I purchase uh, for my grandkids along this bent. So today's guest has actually a a personal passion for me. Um, I actually got referred to this company specifically from a friend of mine, actually Mark Vericcioni, who'd been on the show probably about a month ago, who's doing the STEM work, uh, STEM Elite, an online uh, uh, software service that allows for students who are very advanced in STEM to actually find each other, work together on their projects. And it was through STEM Elite that I got referred to this company, Modular Toys. Now, Modular Toys has a great history, very interesting from the standpoint of not only what it is they were trying to achieve, but also just the challenges of starting with an idea and a passion and turning that into a real product. But rather than steal that thunder and kind of lay it all out here, I want to introduce you to Vitaly. Vitaly is the founder and CEO of Modular Toys. Modular Toys is actually headquartered in Israel. Um, He's dialed in today to join us for the show. And I wanted to welcome Vitaly. Vitaly, thank you for taking the time. I know it's pretty late there in Israel, but I think you guys have a great story. So, again, welcome to the show. Hi, Phil. Hi, Phil. Thank you for having uh, me at your show. I hope I'll be able to bring something new to listeners. Thank you very much. Yeah, so what is, is give us a little bit of background on Modular Toys and how it was founded. I mean, I, you know, Mark, Mark gave me a little bit of your background, and then you and I have exchanged some emails, and I was reading your background. Um, but you, you're, you've got that proverbial entrepreneurial story of coming up with the idea and then the challenge of trying to translate that into a real product and then building a real company. Yeah. Look, it, it actually started about seven years ago uh, when I searched for a toy for my son's birthday. Uh, but I couldn't find what I wanted in the stores. So I, I actually wanted a, a real 3D racetrack construction play, construction toy. And in the market, there's a lot of garages. Uh, you can build them in three dimensions, but it's mostly not modular. You can build uh, only a few variations, if any. Uh, or in the other hand, there was a modular tracks, such as a wooden Brio train, if you know, but it's mostly flat. So I couldn't find a toy that combined it together, uh, the modularity and the option to build it in levels in three dimensions. So I thought maybe I should do it myself. <laughs> That's how it started. Uh, the time uh, I was industrial designer and book illustrator, so I had a good basis in terms of skills to, to start something. Uh, this this was uh, the start. So how did you go from basically just having the basic idea to then actually start the process of translating it into real? Because you, like you said, you're an industrial designer. You had, you come from a visual 
design, visual graphic yeah, yeah. kind of background, but now you got to turn this into a, a real object. What's that? What was that process like for you? Actually, it was a really uh, it was a long process, and uh, you know the, the design was made, and the concept was uh, first presented to the big companies in the toy business. Fortunately, all of the companies rejected the concept. <laughs> so, uh, you know, to give up wasn't an option. So uh, after a while, I, I, with the design I had, I found a, a plastic quality factory, plastic injection factory in Israel, and they decided to invest in it. Uh, then the design was improved, and the first prototype of modular racetrack was presented in Nuremberg Toy Fair. You know. Uh, it it was very exciting times. Uh, it, it was only a start, and for me, you know, I don't have any uh, any uh, any ability, any uh, anything that uh, from business point of view or marketing point of view. I never learned anything of it. I was just a simple designer or, or illustrator. So for me, it was really big adventure. So in the case of in the, very... in the case of then you 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 found this uh, the the company in Israel that could do the plastic injection molding for you. You say you don't have the background in business or marketing and or you know the, how the whole the whole issue of just getting something started up out of the ground. Did they do that for you, or were they? Is that something that you still no, had to no. go through that whole process? Actually, I had. To... Yeah, I had to learn everything almost by myself. We, we did have help from a professional marketing professional, but at the end, most of the things I have to learn to do myself. You know, at, the, at the first toy fair, we, we had a very good feedback from our customers from all over the world, and we started the production. Uh, and, of course, we need to learn the production, how to, how to build everything, how to wrap it all together into a a business that works and and bring a profit and it's really long way to a lot of things to learn uh, you need to read contracts you need to design you need to make graphics you need to uh, go to the factories so at at the time after we presented the, the, the product clearly modular choice had something innovative and unique and uh, it wasn't easy in terms of marketing international marketing if you remember uh, that time there was a sudden financial crisis to hit the Europe and the rest of the markets. All of the accounts shut their doors and worked on the leftovers of their inventories or products that that was a sure sell. Uh, it wasn't a very good way to start a business, but but we did survive. And uh, during the years we expanded the production lines, lines and created new product lines, the modular castles modular cars, modular characters, trains. And we reached a distribution network in around the 15 countries. And today we have a nice business to grow up. You know, still a long way ahead of us, but that's... Well, I think the one point I wanted to bring up is I was going to bring, you know, I looked at the timeline from when you started. You started your business right into the teeth of some of the worst economic downturn that the markets have seen. And it's actually, yeah. you know, one of the, the, the things I do when I talk and I run my innovation boot camps is, you know, one of the first things you have to learn is how to break the rules, not follow the rules. And one rule says you don't yeah. do business in the economic downturns. But if you look at all some of the major Fortune 50 companies, even such as Hewlett Packard, Walt Disney Company, all started in 
major economic downturns. And you're you're so I would I would give you kudos from the fact that you're you're in good company of having started a business in an economic <laughs> okay, downturn so. and be, and being very successful at being able to survive yeah, and have the discipline. I don't think it's it I don't think it's ever, I don't I don't ever think it's anybody's choice to want to start a business yeah. in an economic downturn. But but one argument is though is that it actually instills uh, financial discipline and business discipline uh, around the decision-making process because it is a survival, right? You're 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 you're, yeah. you're constrained by the fact that your customers aren't spending a lot of money, and so therefore you have to be very focused on the value that you're going to deliver in order for them to be willing to depart with a very valuable asset, which is cash. Yeah, definitely. Look, we are in the very tough neighborhood, you know, compete with other construction toy brands like Lego and Knex and a lot of big companies. And at that point, we need to be very creative to find our way to to, to be unique, to be different, because every other aspect of the business is very tough. We can't be much cheaper because our production in Israel and because we produce a smaller amount of products and because we don't have this huge infrastructure like a big companies and the their ability to, to make a bigger and more expensive mold uh, to reduce prices. So we really had to think about every detail and how to, to bring ourselves on top of it. Yeah, I think that's a great point. I mean, one of the the challenges of any startup, right, is you're, you're especially when you're going into a crowded market. In your case, uh, the toy industry, where you're competing with very big brands, with great distribution channels, great reach, you know, from the standpoint of also the the brand recognition. So as we come up on the end here, we're going to go to commercial break here real quick. When we come back, Vitaly, what I'd like to talk to you about is really around Israel as a startup uh, region, right? Everybody's familiar with Silicon Valley, different parts of the world. I have some personal experience. I've been on the board of directors for a number of companies headquartered in Tel Aviv, and I've spent a lot of time there. I have a real passion for Israeli startup communities, but your feet on the ground, I want to hear from you what, what, what Israel is going through and, and how the startup community works there. So when we come back, we'll take care of that. Great. Uh, if you're listening to the show, as you are, uh, and you want more information, you can text the word INNOVATE to 33444. Or uh, visit KillerInnovations.com slash innovate. You can sign up. We get the newsletter. This is Phil McKinney. When we come back, uh, we'll join in and continue our discussions on Israeli startups. And you're listening to Killer Innovations. Biz Talk Radio. This is Killer Innovations, a show about ideas, creativity, and how you can innovate. Welcome to the Innovator's Garage, where you learn to create your next game-changing killer innovation. Welcome back to Killer Innovations. I'm your host, Phil McKinney. We're going to continue our discussions with Vitaly from Modular Toys. Modular Toys is a a toy uh, company that's doing some very interesting work around uh, injection molded plastic 3D toys for kids, really to kind of spark their creativity and spark their innovation. Uh, the first segment we talked about the whole challenges of starting that business from scratch. 
In this case, this segment, what I really want to talk about, starting off here, spend a few minutes talking about really the, the, the startup community in Israel. A lot of people may not be familiar with how robust the startup community uh, really is. So, Vitaly, give us a little background on the startup community in Israel and what that environment is like there. Look, actually, um, you know, you probably know that Israel's second name is a startup nation. Uh, Israel is a very small country with approximately 8 million population. It's a very small uh, area of uh, around 20,000 square kilometers. And I gathered some facts, and uh, actually when I did it, I was pretty amazed myself. So I just read the facts to you, and you'll see what we're talking about, something really unique uh, in the world. So we're number one in number of startups per capita. It's one startup per 2,000 people. Israel is number two in absolute numbers of startups. U.S. is the first. So basically, in proportion to its population, definitely Israel has the largest number of startup companies in the world. Uh, in absolute numbers, Israel has more startup companies than any other country besides the U.S. I think it's amazing numbers. Uh, it is. And it, 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 it is interesting from the standpoint also of it isn't just that they're starting up businesses, but it's also the success of those businesses. You know, there's been some very large Somehow, businesses yeah, that have started in Israel that have been, into, you know, they either come to the U.S. Um, to raise capital or they get acquired. But you've got some pretty large yeah. businesses. It's not just startups, but startups that have been proven to be very, very successful. Yeah. We're number three uh, in number of companies traded on NASDAQ. It's more than all Europe, India, China, and Japan combined. Israel is the world leader in number of patents per capita. And it's also number one in R&D spending per capita. Israel has more Nobel Prizes per capita than the United States, France, and Germany. It has more laureates in real numbers than India, Spain, and China. Just, just imagine the, the comparison. Israel, Israeli scientific research institutes are ranked third in the world. It's ranked second in space science. Uh, let's see, a few, few more. We are one of the 10 countries in the world capable of launching our own satellites. Uh, Israel have the highest number of museum per, museums per capita in the world. Israel has, has the highest ratio of university degrees to population in the world. 50% of the world's leading technology companies have R&D centers in Israel. And uh, look, I really tried to pick a few. Yeah, there I think here's, here's, well, here's, here's, the, here's, the, here's the question then. The, question, the underlying question is, is why? What is it about Israel? Is it, is, it the, is it something that happens in the educational system? Is it something that just is instilled in the culture? Is it, you know, what, why do you think Israel, and you're uh, there, I, you're, a start, I, you're a startup CEO I, there, why, why Israel? I can give you my own opinion. I think it's more related not to Israel, but, but to Jewish culture. Uh, you know, Jewish, uh, in general, Jewish religion is about knowledge. The, you know, the stereotype of two Jews, three, three opinions, is deeply integrated in our culture. 
we value analysis and deeper understanding of, of things. And uh, if we go back to history, after the destruction of the Second Temple, Jews needed to become literate to continue to study and practice Judaism. Uh, literacy is uh, what helped the religion survive and kept us from becoming assimilated into the surra surrounding cultures. You know, we, have, we have always had to try harder to come out on top. I remember myself as a kid. Uh, I immigrated to Israel when I was 13 years old. And uh, my parents immigrated because of the anti-Semitism in Russia was raising. And it was for my parents and for my grandparents, it was very tough to survive. They had to be 10 times better than anyone else to, to survive, to, to, to live. So yeah. I think mm. uh, all these years, all these centuries that Jews uh, was living outside Israel land, uh, that's, that's where it came from. That's what I think. Well, I think this also kind of leads in then to your own, as you talked about in the last segment, about, you know, the perseverance that you've had to show to survive from starting, you know, uh, modular toys right at the at the entry coming into the worst economic downturn. And only the strong survive in that case, you know, from the standpoint of the startups. Yeah. So it sounds like yeah. you're, you're the foundational pieces. You couldn't have picked a, a better uh, history to build upon from the standpoint of a, of a, of a cultural base. Again, it, it wasn't my choice to do. <laughs> in, the, in, in the end, I love my country, and I have to do my part and say the words about it. Uh, you know, uh, in spite of all, the, all the crazy stuff you see now and hear about Israel, a lot of lies. Yeah, but people really don't know the truth about how amazing the country is, and I think today it's also the safest country in the world to travel with. Well, I, I could speak from my own personal experience. I was on the board of directors for three companies uh, funded by Evergreen Venture Capital there in Israel, and we'd go, come to Israel every six weeks um, for board yeah. meetings and et cetera. And, I've always, and I was amazed, one, at just the level of creativity and the level of passion and the, and the breadth of technologies. It's not in one single area. In kind of the U.S., you'll find, like, pockets because, you know, of, of some corner technology that's available there. Yeah. Plus, the one thing I did learn with all my time in Israel was was how many of the startups and how many of the Israeli venture capitalists have some connection, though, to Israeli military, which is the same really here yeah. in the U.S. when you think about the Internet starting from DARPA-funded research and the military spinoff works uh, coming out of the military. So I've always been yeah. impressed with the, uh, you know, the, that ability to, to, to spin off the technologies. We've got to take another quick commercial Definitely. break here. So we're going we're gonna to step up for a break. But when we come back, Vidali, if you're up to it, I'm going to ask you to come back with you know, a couple of pieces of advice for entrepreneurs from the standpoint of what you learned going through that. But before we even get into that, as soon as we come back, I want to talk a little bit about creativity in kids. Because I think when you look at your passion for what you started the toys, the toy business with, that's really to spark that. So stay tuned. Don't go anywhere. We will be right back. I'm Phil McKinney. This is Killer Innovations on the BizTalk Radio Network.
News Talk Radio. This is Killer Innovations, a show about ideas, creativity, and how you can innovate. Welcome to the Innovator's Garage, where you learn to create your next game-changing killer innovation. Welcome back to Killer Innovations. I'm your host, Phil McKinney. We're picking up in the third segment, talking with Vitaly, the founding and CEO of Modular Toys. Vitaly, before we, though, start into talking about, really, the advice for entrepreneurs, which is a key element of our show every week, I do want to talk, just spend a few minutes talking about your thoughts on sparking creativity in, in our kids. Uh, it's, you know, again, it's one of my passion areas. You know, you started Modular Toys basically to meet what you felt something that you wanted to have for your kid. So talk a little bit about your thoughts on how to spark creativity in our kids today. Look, uh, I'm not an educator, <laughs> only for my kids. But uh, I think the basis, the starting point of creativity is, is really boredom. Uh, <laughs> you know, recently I bumped into a nice study by Karen Gasper. It says boredom operates in a unique way. Uh, at some point it creates a feeling of an excitement and its result makes you want to approach something that is more meaningful or interesting. It encourages people to explore because you feel that your current situation is lacking. So it's kind of a push to seek out something new. I think it's really, if you think about it, it's really there. Uh, the boredom, it's something where it's all, the creativity starts. Uh, you know, a few, uh, last, week, last, uh, last week I went with my kids uh, to a dentist. Uh, I have five kids. So we have to wait around 40 minutes with all of them. Imagine that. Uh, at some point, Ariel, is 8 years old, wanted me to play with him card game. But it had to be played on the floor. I say to him, it's a public place. I can't, can't play on the floor right now. So then I told him, okay, just get a bit bored. It's okay to be bored. And I started to watch him. And around after... 20, 30 seconds, I saw the change in him. Suddenly, he, something opened in, in his behavior, in his mind, and he started to, to look around and to read things that are written on the wall or, or pictures, uh, things, chairs. He started really, you see how his mind was opened. And uh, I think it's very important to, to let kids to be bored. Today, today we as a parent, uh, we want to kids get busy. We want them to, to be busy. And I don't think it's right. We need to give them knowledge. We need to give them the information. But we need to give them to be bored with it. And then they create creativity, sparkle, and 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 uh, goes around and they start thinking by themselves. Okay, well, Vitaly, I have to say, that's probably the first person on this show whose advice on how to spark creativity with kids is to actually let them get bored. And I've been sitting here, and I'm listening to you, and it actually, the light bulb went off for me, right? I've got three grandkids, a fourth one's on the way, yeah. 
And, you know, and you see it, right? You know, you go to a restaurant, parents are busy shoving a tablet with a video playing on it because they want the kids yeah, to be quiet. Yeah, yeah. Or you constantly got the TV going, you know, but like my grandson, he's the middle of the three grandkids. He lives pretty close to us and he spends a lot of time with my wife and I, you know, uh-huh. you know, we don't we don't have the TV on a lot. And he is into trains, right? But he can make a train out of anything. It doesn't have to be a formal yeah, track. Right. You know, exactly. and he's yeah. and he and, and and you sit there and I'm and I'm and I'm I'm getting the biggest kick out of just watching him at two and a half, crank through the whole process of learning how to build stuff and try it. And it doesn't yeah. work. And you know, Papa, I need a piece of tape or Papa, I need glue or something um, exactly. to go build exactly. something. And it's just and I never put it in the context of boredom. You you've, you you definitely have lit the light bulb for me here. That's that's uh, that's an insight that. That I, I guess I've been you know, observing, but just never realized. <laughs> yeah, no, but there is another thing. I think the laziness is the second. Uh, I think it's also a factor in an invention process. If you think about it, most of the things was invented because we're lazy. Think about it: an, an elevator, the Velcro, the, the the calculator, a remote control. You know, a my mother-in-law recently bought a simple air ventilator with a remote control. Really, it, <laughs> I, I thought it, 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 it. I thought it's a send share things on YouTube or or fly somehow. But it was a simple air ventilator, and it was with remote control. It's amazing. <laughs> well, <laughs> so I always tell the story Gates, about remote control. Yeah, I was always I was telling the story about 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 about, re- about remote controls from the standpoint of I yeah. was my dad's remote yeah. control. You know, he'd he'd sit in his chair and he would just yell at me to change the channel on the TV when I was a kid growing up. Yeah. <laughs> okay. He he knew something. <laughs> so hey, before let's 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 move on to because I want to okay. make sure okay. that the, the the listeners get to hear your advice coming from an entrepreneur and inventor perspective. You came up with the idea. Okay. You developed it. What's that advice that you would give to the entrepreneur? Because a lot of the listeners of this show maybe have an idea, but they're not, they don't quite have, maybe have the confidence to step out or worried about what could go wrong. You know, we, we have this natural ability in our minds to, to plot out the worst possible scenarios on the other side. So what, what would be that one piece of advice that you would give to an entrepreneur? Oh, I have many advices, but I'll try to wrap it up. Uh, as fast as I can. I think today is very hard to innovate today. We, we live in a times when there is too much information, too much products, too much pollution. Um, how we make products today, how we consume, how we pollute with so many unnecessary products. We don't need another new shape of uh, dustpan or a new form of a toothbrush. Uh, I really think we don't need to innovate in, in this. I don't think that what I did with Modular Toys is a real innovation. I mean, Modular Toys opens a different educational aspect for kids, yes, but I think a real inventor has to go deeper into a technology, into new technologies, learn new sciences, and bring the new innovative stuff from there. I think there is a plenty of it there, but this is a time that we have to go deeper. And now here, here are my tips. First tip will be to throw the TV from the window. I think it's very important uh, because it wastes 
so much time in our life, uh, and uh, some someone who wants to do something with his life should should do it. Uh, I think the second one is uh, to find a good partner, but it's obvious. Uh, learn all aspects of your business and don't count on the professionals. Yes, learn from them, but don't count on them because at the end you need to do most of the things by yourself. Of course, work and believe. It sounds obvious, but again, 99% of your success is in it. And... Uh, don't listen to anyone because most of the people will will tell you you can do it and the last thing i think is most important thing is to do good i think today we forget that our purpose in life is to do good things and i see sometimes the in the people who want to innovate but they do stuff that they create pollution create a violence, some violence games, or uh, some inappropriate content uh, in television or whatever. Je- I, I think we, today we have to think what good you do with your invention uh, to the world. And I, your, your points are absolutely right on, right? You know, we, I hear a lot from entrepreneurs and innovators who are you know, looking for, maybe took too much advice from professionals. And in some cases, we don't think. Also, think about what are we actually producing? Is it really moving the needle, or is it just yeah, another variation exactly. of the same thing? And then you know, I think your point on the pollution exactly. is is actually right on. So, hey, Vitaly, if people want to follow what you're doing, what's the best way to track you? Uh, we have our Facebook page. It's uh, just uh, find Modular Toys on Facebook. We have a website, modulatoy.com. Great. Uh, Perfect. And that's, and that's perfect. So if you want to follow up, I, I'd encourage parents out there looking to, to spark the creativity in their kids to take a look at Modular Toys. So I've uh, they, they are not a sponsor. I'm getting no compensation. But, but from what I've checked out and what I've seen and what I've heard from people, this is something that, that you should check out. So go out to Modular Toys. We'll have links in the uh, killinnovations.com on the show notes. So check those show notes out. And uh, we'll link right to uh, the Modular Toys and the Modular Toys Facebook page. So stay right where you're at. We've got a great killer question coming up in the fourth segment. You don't want to go anywhere. This is Phil McKinney. You're listening to Killer Innovations on the BizTalk Radio Network. BizTalk Radio. This is Killer Innovations, a show about ideas, creativity, and how you can innovate. Welcome to the Innovator's Garage, where you learn to create your next game-changing killer innovation. So are you ready to exercise your creative muscle? So what is this week's killer question? This week's question is, what would happen if I realigned my industry relationships? That includes your partners, your suppliers, everybody that you have to partner with. What would happen if I realigned my industry relationships? 
Now, odds are that you and your competitors are already competing in two distinct ways. The obvious battle is the one to win customers from each other. The less obvious but equally important one is the battle for resources required to produce your product. Now, in previous shows, I touched on the concept of these unexpected jolts and disruptions that may cause you not to to be able to respond. That aren't some of them may not even be destructive, but they could be opportunities for savvy companies to make bold moves and basically take over the competition if you're prepared. Now, one way to prepare for jolts is to assess your relationship with key suppliers and figure out if any of those relationships are strong enough to survive the unexpected event. You want to look at suppliers who are critical to your business and ask yourself if you are a priority for them. Now, if an unexpected circumstance suddenly caused their output to be slashed, would you still get shipments or would you be waiting until that disruption was over? Now, let's look back to the tsunami that hit Japan in early 2011. You know, it was a, just a huge disaster, the loss of human lives, but also in the fact that the impact that it had on the Japanese tech industry. Shinetsu, the world's largest producer of silicon wafers, used to make semiconductors. And they made the wafers for all the basic semiconductors that you see in every device we have. Everything from your refrigerator to your dishwasher to your mobile phone to your computer, your tablet, your television set. These guys were the top producers for the silicon wafers. So all the semiconductor companies bought wafers from them. And guess what? They were hit directly by the tsunami. And they went offline for months. Their production actually went to zero. Now granted, they were still able to ship wafers from other factories, but the company's overall productivity was disrupted. Now think of a key component supplier for your own business. If they went offline for months or even a year, what would you do? Would you still be important to them? Or would your orders be sidelined for months or even years to that supplier was back to 100%? Now, in the aftermath of the tsunami, companies that relied on components from that region rushed to secure commitments from key partners in their value chain. Companies that had purely buy-sell relationships found themselves struggling to secure key components. Those that had thought ahead and developed a deeper, more strategic relationship with key partners in that ecosystem were able to get their components and continue to serve their customers. And I can tell you from the standpoint of my previous life at HP, we ran into this in 2011 when the tsunami hit. It turned out that in the case of a one key component, there was a requirement for a little spring. And it turned out that the only manufacturer for the spring was a factory right in the tsunami. And nobody else made that specific spring. This is a natural byproduct effect of optimization. Companies who compete in those low-end components optimize on price and efficiency and basically wipe out any of the other competitors, and pretty soon you can find yourself down to having a single supplier. Or you go in with the attitude that you're buying purely on price, and you don't think about the value of that partnership over time. So I can tell you in this case, for that one little spring, you put $120 billion HP in, in a huge amount of turmoil and a huge amount of struggle trying to find an alternative supplier for this one little spring that went into a little drive mechanism that went into every laptop that HP sold. That's 40 million devices a year. And so in that case, that kind of caused the spark for me to say, we need to think differently about the supplier base. 
we need to make sure, one, that you got alternatives, but two, you have to have that deeper relationship. You have to treat them as co-innovators. And what is it that you can innovate with them rather than just having them just supply you cheap parts? Are there opportunities for you to actually go into a much deeper partnership such that when something bad goes, when something does happen, and let's face it, something bad happens, shipping snafus, manufacturing snafus, we're always going to have these little issues. In this case, are the ones that you have that deeper relationship are ones that are going to be around much longer. So the sparking questions or the points that I want you to really think about this week is, are there areas where you could establish a unique relationship with key partners and therefore block your competitors? Not just that you get the advantage, but you could actually block your competitors. What essential needs do you share with your competitors that are not obvious? Look deep, seeing where your competitors and you overlap. And then how could you attract partners that would extend the value of your product? And this includes things such as if you're developing a product, partnering with one of your suppliers on accessories, letting them participate, let them get an ownership piece to what it is you're fundamentally doing. So get your notebook out. This is where you exercise your creative muscle. You want to set aside 10 to 15 minutes every day. That's not, that's not a lot of time, but it could have a huge impact to you and your career. Just like, as I said in the past, you can't get up off the couch being a couch potato and expect to run the marathon. If you've been a creative couch potato, you can't hop off, off the couch and expect to be highly creative, high impact. So you got to get out there and exercise. So get out there, practice, answer these questions, spend the 10 or 15 minutes, collect up those best ideas, and I think you'll be amazed at what you can uncover. To stay up with everything we have going on at Killer, Killer Innovations, text the word INNOVATE to 33444. Or if you're outside the U.S., you can just visit KillerInnovations.com INNOVATE. And don't forget to check out the show notes. It's the place where you find all the innovation groups, such as the Kill Innovations group on LinkedIn. Feel free to join. And you can see where our upcoming guests are. You can connect with past shows, etc. Also, don't miss out on the great shows over on BizTalk Radio Network. Visit biztalkradio.com. And while you're there, grab the mobile app, and you can listen to the Kill Innovations live. And you can also text me. So feel free to text me while we're doing the show live, and we'll try to answer those questions. And also, if you're an innovator and you have a story or you think you know of an innovator that has a great story that others should hear, drop me a note at phil at killinnovations.com. In this case, today's show with Modular Toys, the first three segments, um, that came from a listener. and actually came from a listener who turned into a guest who then recommended another guest. So if you've got someone out there with a great story, drop me a note. Love to hear about it. Today's show was engineered by Brandon, um, who always has that tough job of keeping me on track. I'm Phil McKinney, and don't let your innovation critics get you down. Keep on innovating. We'll talk with you next week. Bye-bye. The opinions you hear on BizTalk Radio are those of the hosts, callers, and guests, and do not necessarily reflect those of this station, BizTalk Radio, its management, or advertisers. The information on BizTalk Radio does not constitute a recommendation, offer, or solicitation to buy or sell any product or service. If you have any questions about BizTalk Radio, contact us at 817-274-1609 or at biztalkradio.com. BizTalk Radio. 